Good morning. Turn with me, will you please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It was lovely singing those Christmas songs. I can remember the first Christmas that I experienced after I had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Was that an exciting Christmas? We were singing these songs, and then I realized for the first time, wow, how did I miss it for all those years? (laughs) You know, the story of the birth of Christ, God come down from heaven to earth to die on a cross for us. He might have eternal life, be forgiven from all our sins, and have peace with God. Wow. That was exciting. And that was eight months after I got saved. No, ten months, excuse me. I got saved February 26, 1981. Remember the bench I sat on. And uh, I remember when I came to know the Lord, the first thing that went through my mind as soon as I accepted the Lord is, I'm going to heaven. It was that sure. I was convinced, absolutely, enough to lay your life on the line that Jesus had died for my sins. And that's what he's been trying to communicate to me. And he made it crystal clear. Because I remember like a few months, six months before that, I used the excuse that I didn't want to go to hell. And a girlfriend of mine said, why shouldn't you? And uh, I said, well, I don't really have an excuse. But the only thing I can say is I plead ignorance. I plead ignorance. I never went to church when I was little. Wasn't raised going to church. I don't know what God expects of me. Of course, I knew I was a sinner. But six months later, he led somebody to share the gospel with me. And he showed me that throughout my life, he had given me little pieces of the puzzle. And that day, he put it together. Jesus died on the cross for me. He wanted to give me eternal life as a free gift. And all I needed to do was accept it, to receive it. That's all. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's all you need to do is understand that God loves you so much that he came down from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, creator, God, came down, took on flesh because the penalty for your sin and my sin was death, eternal death. And he suffered that on the cross, not for his own sins because he was without sin. He was holy and righteous. But he took on our sins and his body on the cross that we might be brought to God, forgiven in a just way. And there's nothing we can or we need to add to it. It's a free gift, a free gift that he offers us. And to those that seek after God, that want to know God, it's just as simple as, thank you, Lord, I want that. And then it says in the scripture, he gives you a new heart with new desires. And pretty soon your, heart, your, your life starts changing even before your very eyes. Almost as if it was out of your control. But it's not without your will. It's just that he provides the power that you never had before. It's a, it's a total change. And so when I came to know the Lord, the first thought in my mind was, I get to go to heaven. I get to go to heaven. I have eternal life. No reason for me to stick around. What's stopping me right now from going to heaven? I'll never forget that. Nothing was important anymore. I was pursuing a career in mechanical engineering. My, uh, uh, my uncle worked for uh, Hughes Spacecraft Division. He was a senior engineer. He says, you get your degree, I'll get you a job. 
So in the world's eyes, that was something. It wasn't important anymore. Why? Because I'm going to heaven. What's, what's that compared to heaven, right? But uh, Rick Bellis led me to the Lord. He brought me down to earth. He says, well, what would happen if that happened to me when I came to know the Lord? Where would you be? And, you know, I'm not the smartest pencil, the sharpest pencil in the box, but I figured that one out real quick. I wouldn't have heard about the Lord, at least not from him, right? And that's when it dawned on me. If you're a Christian and you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you've had that personal experience with him that I had, that the scripture talks about, that every true Christian has, and if you're not a true Christian, you really don't know what I'm talking about. I don't want to offend you, but it's a personal experience with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that can only happen his way. If you've had that experience, there's only one reason and one reason alone he left you here on earth. And I can say that because everything else falls into that. And I'll explain that. The reason he left you here on earth, he left me here on earth, is because he doesn't just love you. He loves your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your uncle, your cousins. And I know they get into second covenants three times removed, divided by two or something. I don't know, you know. He loves everyone. Your neighbors, your workmates. The people you meet on the street that you don't even say hi to. You know, the people you're standing at a bus stop with, if you do take the bus every once in a while, that you don't talk to. He loves them too. If he loved them enough to come down from heaven to die on a cross for them, don't you think it's worth it to tell them? If you're standing next to them? You know? Um, that's why he left us here. Now... People will say, well, he also has a goal of making you conform to the image of Christ. In other words, Christ is the perfect person. He exhibits, demonstrates, shows perfect love. And he calls us to that. Not only that, but he gives us the power to reach for that. He's the most compassionate one you'll ever meet. He's the most righteous and just one you'll ever meet. You'll never meet anyone like him once you meet him. He stands alone as not only God, creator, almighty God, all-knowing God, but the perfect person. His reaction to everything we read in scriptures is a perfect reaction. And if you study the scriptures with humility, you'll see it. It's clear. And you'll say, man, I wish I was like that. I want to be like that. And if you don't know him, you'll, you'll, you'll say, no, I wish I knew someone like that. You see, him making us, if you know him, you have a personal relationship with him. It says he gives us the spirit of God to abide in our hearts. And that changes our, it's a different heart. You're being conformed to the image of Christ. But that's not the end of all things. There's a purpose for that. Just like he revealed himself to you, if you know Christ, he wants to reveal himself to others. And he does that through your life as they see Christ in you. He does that by them hearing the word as you study the word and understand through the guidance of the Holy Spirit what the word means. And you share it and they say, wow, I never thought about it like that before. Because people that don't know the Lord that haven't met the Lord Jesus Christ, they're all over the world telling people what God says, but they're not right because they don't know God. But if Jesus Christ, through his spirit, abides in your heart and conforms your life to his life, then your words, being the word of God that you share, is going to be backed up with a life 
that demonstrates Christ. So he left us here because there are others that need to hear about Christ. He left us here to reach others. And I'll be the first to confess, and, and I'd wager to say it's more than a lot of people in this room. I've wasted a lot of time. I've neglected a lot of opportunities. And whenever the Lord gives me a new opportunity, and He does a work in my heart that I'm in a position where I can't do anything but share the gospel, or I'd be ashamed of myself, and I do not fail that one in a thousand times or whatever, I'm reminded when God says, that's what I want you doing all the time. I got a chance to share the gospel in a group of 150 to 200 people, directors of EMSs all over the state of California, uh, captains of fire departments, uh, police departments, stripes all over their shoulders and shirts and everything, you know? And uh, we received an award. We got to go up there. Andy Goodwin and myself and Tracy, you remember she was here one day? And I'll tell you what I said. I said, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't think of what I'm going to say before I say something oftentimes. And some of you know me well, you know that. <laughs> but it's interesting because I say something good that I know is God saying it, not me. <laughs> my wife knows how, uh, how many times I've put my foot in my mouth. But I just, you know, think, well, if I, we all prayed, and we prayed at the prayer meeting. You that go to the prayer meeting, you prayed that I'd have an opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to speak or not. But they opened the door. They said, we're going to give everybody about 30 seconds to say something. Okay, I'll take 30 seconds. Right? Because I remember why the Lord left me here. And I thought, well, what am I going to say? You can't think of everything you're going to say. Because if you start thinking like that, you'll take up two hours and they'll kick you out of there. Right? It's got to be short. It's got to be sweet. So it can't be of me, it's got to be of God. And so I go up there and I say, well, I want to at least express that I'm grateful to be in the presence of these people, right? So I went up there and I said, you know, I want to tell you first off, it's an honor to be in the room filled with people that have dedicated their lives to the service of others. And they have already given the narration of what happened at that rescue. And I said, but I think we would, no, I said, I, we would be remiss if we didn't recognize that God planned this rescue. He choreographed this rescue using people that just, the only thing we did was get involved. I mean, he put together a team of people that we couldn't put together, and everything turned out right. I said, so we just got involved. But you know, God got involved because he cares. God got involved because he came down from heaven to die on a cross so that we might be saved and receive eternal life. That's how he got involved. I said, I'm grateful to stand up here with a few individuals that also got involved. So thank you very much. So I think I made it in 30 seconds. <laughs> so my wife said, there was, it wasn't audible, but there was almost a gasp in the room, like, <gasps> you know? Because I, I talked to her after, she goes, because afterwards there was this lady that was all excited, and she was talking to, I think, Andy. And... Uh, she goes, I want to tell you something because I know you can relate, you know. And the first thing she says, I can't believe you had the boldness to share the gospel up there. Yeah, you know. I'm going, oh, wow, you know. And then she shared how she was a Christian and she was adopted. She never knew her real parents until her 40th birthday after she came to know the Lord. And the Lord brought them together on her 40th birthday. No, no, it wasn't her 40th birthday. It was her birthday, her 40th birthday that she celebrated when she got adopted. But she got reunited with her real parents. And she was excited about it. She was all bubbly and everything. 
So I thought, what's this encouraging? And then when I went back to the table, my wife gave me two cards, and she, business cards, one for Andy and one for me, because Andy was there too. And he got to test, testify for the Lord as well. So we were there together, and we got to experience this blessing. And then these two business cards, and Santa said, it was some director or something. He wanted me to tell you, he had to go, but he wanted me to tell you that he was so encouraged that you were able to share the gospel with so many people that don't know the Lord. And these are his colleagues, right? And at the end, I talked to the guy that got the EMS um, of the year award. And he reminded me of, like, Tommy Love, that he would be a friend of Tommy Love's. And he looked familiar. You know, sometimes there's the familiar faces, right? And I went to him. I said, you know, you look so familiar. I said, but I, he said, well, he's from Chico. I said, well, I don't think I know you. You must just have a familiar face. But I want to congratulate you because he was a humble guy. He goes, you know, I want to tell you something, too. I said, what? He says, I am so glad that you talked about the Lord up there. He goes, I had it planned out. All was up, everything I was going to say, I had it planned out. But then I chickened out because I was nervous. Yeah. I said, well, I said, your life's a testimony. And, he, and the way they described his life, it is. I, I thought, man, that's the way a Christian should live. <laughs> Turns out he is. <laughs> so, you know, there was more than one purpose there. I thought going there, my purpose, and I, and I thought, I'm, my, my vision is so small and narrow-minded sometimes. I'm looking for this Indian family and this guy that I haven't talked to yet, the father, right? Well, he wasn't there. The mother was there and the two kids were there, but the father wasn't there. And I'm thinking, well, I thought that's the whole reason why I'm here. Because I want to talk, I want to share the gospel with this one guy and maybe his wife and kids, right? God said, no, 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 no. I want you to tell everybody here. <laughs> oh, and I want to let you know that that purpose isn't just that the unsaved hear the gospel, but there's my people here in the crowd. I want to encourage them to be more bold. Because this is their colleagues, you know. It's easy for me, a stranger, to walk into people. I don't know, probably never see them again. I can say that. But if I worked with them, I mean, I do witness to my workmates lots. But this was a little bit higher group of people, I imagine, if you were an EMS technician, you know. So I walked away thinking, well, praise the Lord. That's exciting. You ever wonder what plans he has for your life? A lot better than that. You know, I'm, I'm, God's gracious to me with all the, uh, the times I've let him down and fail him to give me an opportunity like that. And I feel that way. because I know I've passed up a lot of opportunities. But, you know, I'm reminded the purpose for us to be here on earth is there's a battle. And the battle is over lost souls. And that's what our passage is about. They're reminding us that Christian life, it's, it's not a bed of roses. And I hope I'm not going to offend anybody, but I want to present the Word of God and just tell real reality the way it is for the Christian life. And um, maybe, maybe, maybe you can appreciate what, I, what I'm saying. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul MacArthur, first of all, I want to say something about John, John MacArthur, because we went through, we've been through the book of Ephesians, right? And I, I like you know, things that, pictures that make me think. And he describes the book of Ephesians and coming to chapter 6 this way. The idea of the Christian practice can be illustrated by a car. Because remember, the book of Ephesians has our position in Christ, which is the first three chapters, and now the practice, right? He describes it this way. The idea of the Christian's practice can be illustrated by a car. I can relate to cars. I'm sorry. I'm sort of a mechanical kind of guy. The first three chapters of Ephesians describe the car, its engine, and its capabilities. The second three chapters are the roadmap the car is to follow. The first three chapters define the believers as high-powered individuals. 
I'm thinking of a car that's like supercharged, you know. Um, maybe it's got special uh, suspension. Maybe it can drift, you know, like you see on, the, on those YouTube videos. You know, a, a powerful car. The second three chapters show them where to go with their power. The problem is, you know, a lot of these high-powered, sophisticated cars, you hop in the cockpit, and they've got various controls that you're not familiar with. <laughs> so you, know how to, you need to know, how, to, how am I going to go down this path? How am I going to use all this power that I got, that I'm sitting on, to get me where I need to go? Right? And so that's what chapter 6 is about, you know, um, getting there, getting there. God hasn't given us all the power and all the position that he's talking about in the first three chapters and expecting us to go through life the next three chapters without telling us how to do it and what are some of the dangers, okay? What are some of the dangers? It's like this. Finally, uh, this comes at the end of the, uh, of, uh, the letter, a letter that Paul has carefully established um, our place in Jesus, and then basics, the basics of the Christian walk. This is at the last section dealing with that walk. So this is basically what he's saying. In the light of all that God has done for you, all that God's done for you, and I'm not talking about, I, you know, he's given me a wife, and he's given me children, and he's given me a job. I mean, he's done a lot for me in a mundane way. But what he's done for me in a spiritual way, that's what we're talking about. The position he's given us. It says that he's clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. It says in his eyes, we're clean and pure without sin. That's our position. Think of that. If you have all that he's done for us, in the light of the glorious standing, you have as a child of God. He calls you a child of God if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. In the light of his great plans of the ages that God has made for you, he's got plans for you. For eternity, in light of the plan for Christian maturity and growth he gives to you, in light of the conduct God calls every believer to live, in light of the filling of the Spirit and our walk in the Spirit, in the light of all this, there's a battle. There's a battle to fight. The Christian life is going to be a battle. Okay. Now, had I died and gone to heaven, I wouldn't have a battle. <laughs> but there's a battle to be fought. You see, the Bible describes Satan as the prince of the power of the air. And his power, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, comes through deception. You've never met a deceiver, deceiver more deceitful than Satan. He's the father of lies. And if you think you have in yourself the wisdom to sort through those lies and figure out if there's any truth in it, you're mistaken. He will fool us every time deceitful, okay? He's got schemes, plans, and he's deceitful. And uh, negotiating through the Christian life without the help of God is nothing but folly, folly. We got a, light, we got a, we got a, a battle that we're fighting. So let's look at the first two verses and uh, see what it tells us here. Um, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
Now, he tells Christians this. So you have to realize, we're talking to Christians when we're talking about the Christian armor. We're talking about Christians when we're talking about the battle. Because Satan is not going to give up souls that he has deceived, and there are his, in a sense. It says that we're all born in sin. We're all born under his dominion. He's the prince of the power of the earth. We don't, we aren't born knowing God. Like, a lot of people think, like to think, I mean, I'm going to, you probably know this already, but I'm going to be a grandfather. And I'm excited about that. First time I'm going to have a grandson near my birthday. He should be born. So I told Heidi this yesterday. I said, you know, I hope you're not hurt by this, but I got a feeling I'm going to be a lot better grandfather than I was father. So she took it the way, same way I meant it. I think I'm at a place in my life where I can pour my life into a little one a lot more prepared than I was way back when. So I'm going to be a grandfather. But that little sweet darling child, which whom I'm calling Buster for the time being, <laughs> Buster Brown, right? <laughs> Until she gives it a, him an official name, I'll call him Buster. But he's going to be born and he's going to be adorable. I already know it. What baby's not, right? But he's going to be a sinner. And it's going to become evident real soon. And that's why Jesus came to die for him. Right? Now, if you were Satan, you don't like God. Satan knows he's defeated. So what's the worst he could do? God loves you, right? He loves your mother, brother, sister, and all the rest. So, you know, if you love someone and I can't get to you, you know what my next strategy is if I'm an enemy of yours? I mean, it's in the movies all the time. Just go after somebody you love to hurt you. Makes sense, doesn't it? That's one of his strategies. Go after someone God loves like my grandson, and hide God from him or deceive him into thinking that God's different than he is. I mean, people grow up all the time. You can talk to anybody. There's a gazillion misconceptions about God, preconceived ideas that Satan, none other than Satan is responsible for planning along the way. A lot of people think God's a killjoy. He just wants to take fun out of life from me, so I really don't want anything to do with God. That's total misconception. That's not right. That's wrong. That's not God. Do you think God would come down from, the, from heaven and die on the cross to take your joy away? <laughs> no, he did it to give you real joy. But Satan's busy in the world deceiving people. And so, that's the fight. But you know he deceives you and me? You know, there's a battle to be fought, and, you know, we read the book of Job's, and we know, we know there's an outward battle. You know, I'm having trouble with my thumb now. You know, I think it's shingles, right? And the nerve damage might last for years. But guess what? I'm getting a new hand eventually. So, so what, right? Who doesn't live with discomfort? Some people live with a lot of pain. My sister-in-law, when I think of something that hurts, I think of her. I don't know anybody that suffered more than she has and keeps going. Diabetes, she should be blind, scleroderma. She has calcium deposits that come, come, come from her bone poking out her skin that are white, that she needs to have surgery. How many times has she gone into the doctor and the doctor said, we should amputate that? 
I'm not ready for that yet. They just want to cut it off because why? Because they don't have to mess with it anymore. You know, half, she's had half her foot amputated. And she's a Christian, she's a believer, and she keeps a cheerful attitude. She goes to Hillview. When I think of this, and I think of her, this is nothing. Right? So external, um, external attacks can be dealt with a lot easier than internal attacks. Internal attacks of Satan are a lot more devious. A lot more devious. It's like, it's like this. I train people, and one of my positions as a lead instructor for the international is train people in confined spaces. Okay? A lot of people die in construction when they go into confined spaces. Confined space is an area that wasn't meet, meant for human occupancy. Although there's access to do some kind of maintenance or something. And people go into these spaces and they die quite often. Hundreds of people per year. And, and so when you go into one of these confined spaces, let's say it's a big, uh, you know, a big mixer, you know, for tar, you know, and they turned it off. And you're going to go in there and clean it up because they've emptied it out. So maybe you're going to go in there as a blaster to blast it out. But there's a big mixing paddle in there. What are you going to make sure you do? <laughs> well, you're going to make sure not only you turn it off, but you make sure nobody can turn it on while you're inside because I, I can read some stories. I can tell you some stories that aren't even fit to be said in a church or in, among people that, I mean, in America, we don't put gruesome scenes on TV. In other countries, you do, but there's some accidents that would be eye-openers to you, you know, and so I have to train people that these accidents don't happen. So not only are we going to switch it off now, we're going to disconnect the circuit, pull the circuit breaker, and we're going to put a lock on it. It's called lock-out, tag-out procedures. You know, and when the people get in tanks where there can be something coming in, like potential hazards, they used to just have to close the valve, put a lockout, tag out on the valve. No, 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 no. You're going to disconnect a section of that pipe, and they call it blank and blind them. They have pancakes to put in there, screw it back together. So even if somebody opens that valve, nothing's getting into that confined space. Okay, so that's the easy part. You just, you look. You don't want any kind of danger, potential danger, you know. But the, you know what kills most people in a confined space? It's not what you can see, it's what you can't see. Atmospheric hazards kill more people per year in confined space than anything else. I mean, by a great margin. And two-thirds of the people, of those people that die in confined spaces are would-be rescuers. I've read stories of four firefighters going into a confined space to save an individual. Every one of them, one after the other, died, 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 died. Until somebody says, hey, I don't think we should go in there anymore. You think? You know? Confined space, atmospheric hazards, things you can't see. You know? Like oxygen content. There's no oxygen content. Go ahead and put an air purifying respirator on. It's just going to purify non-oxygen air. That's not going to help you, but people think it will, and they die that way. You know, there's other dangers, but you can't see them. And so the insidious, insidious... Um, strategy or scheme of Satan is work on things we can't see. And I'm going to give you a story that, that I went through that shows you the outward and the inward. We're the real battle eyes. It's not on the outward, by the way. It's on the inward. And you'll remember when Heidi was diagnosed, and I saw it on a sonogram, a tumor in her neck, on her spine, right? Was it on her neck or upper back? I can't remember. But 
they said the procedure for this was to cut, you know, the vertebrates come to a point in the back, cut through the vertebrates, two vertebrates, take them out. And they had to hook up all kinds of sensors to her. And, and this tumor was in the sheath of her spinal cord. So they had to cut it out without cutting any nerves. Delicate operation. Okay. Hazard, she could be paralyzed, you know, from there down. She could die. And so we're praying at the prayer meeting. And uh, I remember it was Joanna, I think. I don't know if it was Parker or somebody else that prayed that, at least I heard they prayed, that God would make it disappear. All right? And so they have a six-doctor team ready to do surgery on the Tuesday. Everything was set up the week before. Anesthetist, this person, that person. We were in there on a Thursday to do the pre-op, whatever they call it. I mean, to get, you know, what you can do, what you can't do, to get ready for the surgery. And he showed it to us on the thing. It's okay, we're trusting the Lord, right? Anyway, she, the um, doctor calls me. Santa calls me Monday morning. She calls me and she goes, and I'm at work, and she says, I said, what? She goes, uh, well, surgery's been called off. I said, why? She goes, because the tumor disappeared. I go, what? Yeah, they did an MRI this morning just to double check, and it was gone. I go, really? Wow. There's the hand of God right there. And so the anesthetist called me up that afternoon, and she says, listen, I just want to call you up and let you know these things, important things you got to do, not do before the surgery tomorrow morning. This was Monday afternoon for Tuesday morning surgery. And I said, haven't you heard? She said, heard what? I said, they're not going to do the surgery. She says, why not? And then I told her, and she goes, wonder why he did another MRI. You see, that MRI that the doctor did wasn't normal procedure, and they didn't normally do it. But somebody, and I know who it was, put it in his heart, let's double check. I mean, they could have cut her open, pulled out those vertebrae, and they'd have to, you know, just cut loose the muscles around it, and then say, oh, it's not here. And then say, well, maybe it's a little up higher. Let's look. No. God had them, in answer to prayer, take another MRI, and it was gone. Okay. So that's the outward, right? The outward is, what could happen? Paralyzed, die. Right? Where's the battle? The battle's in the hearts, my heart, Sandra's heart, Heidi's heart. And I'll tell you what went through my mind. Serious questions that are presented to you that are like a test. You know? And the question is this. Take the worst case scenario that she dies. Well, if she knows the Lord and she dies, that's really the best case scenario. <laughs> you know? I mean, taking the motions out of it. That's reality, right? So... I need to talk to her. The next thing is, wait a minute, what if she's paralyzed from the neck down or the back down? There's ramifications that are very real. So I think the Lord was asking me, are you okay with that, Eric? Are you okay with that? If I allow that to happen, are you okay with that? You see, that's where Satan goes to work, his deceitfulness. And I... and, and, and. Really, I just looked at it, I think, well, that means what would I do? I would dedicate the rest of my life to making sure that she's happy, as happy as she can be. Am I willing to do that? The question was really, are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to die to any desires you might have for old age? 
Are you willing to restrict times where you would be on vacation? Are you willing to be, as it were, tied down to that for the rest of your life? And not only that, but are you willing to do that and be happy and joy-filled? That was a serious question. And I thought about it. I said, yeah. I started thinking that way. Almost thinking, well, maybe I need to prepare myself. Because, you know, you read about people that have come to know the Lord through tragedies, or you read about Christians that have gone through difficulties and tragedies, and that's become a whole ministry for them. I think of Joni, you know, I think it's Joni Erickson Tada or vice versa. The Lord has been glorified so much through her life in her positive response in her not listening to the deceitfulness of Satan, like God doesn't care about you, and look what he did to you, and all those other lies he spreads. Trusting the word of God, God loves me. He's got a plan for my life, even still. He's glorified himself more through that accident than I believe than he would have without it. You know, it's all about how we respond, whether we believe God's word or whether we believe the lies. And that's where the battle is. That's where the battle is. And that's what we're going to learn about next week. I'm not going to take you in overtime this week, but... That's why we need that armor. You know, in the first one, you know, we have to know the Word of God, the shield of faith. You know, you, you, faith in what? Faith in the Word of God. And so that was a test for me. Yeah, I, I started thinking, you know what? I would take joy in that. You know, the real question is, are you willing to give up everything? Give up everything that you've ever wanted, everything you ever cling to. You know, it's interesting things that people cling to. <laughs> Some people cling to possessions. Some people cling to people. Some people cling to position, and they're unwilling to let go. And that's a, that, that's, let that be a caution to the Christian. Is there something in your life you're unwilling to deal with and unwilling to let go of? I, I can remember, I'll tell you a secret. I don't know if Howard and Don's going to appreciate this, but I'll tell you a secret. I, since I've become an elder, I don't know, I think it's five or seven years, three times I've submitted a letter of resignation. Three times. Three times I listened to the Lord speak to these two men. Because I'm submissive to them. That's biblical. I know how my feelings feel. I know what I think I see and what I think I perceive. But in the end, I don't trust myself. And so they said, no, we don't feel the Lord's leading that way. You stay where you're at. I said, okay. Three times later, I said, okay, brothers, I've asked three times. I'm not going to ask again. The next time, you're going to have to tell me. But I'll listen. But it's on you guys now, you know. If I was a person to cling to that position at any cost, that's not where God wants me. And he'd probably wrench it from my hands. Clinging to things is not healthy for a Christian because God's going to find out what those things are, you know? You know, and I, I, I visited a Christian uh, sometime back, and that Christian said, what is going on? I want to know. <laughs> you know, people are leaving the church, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I'll tell you what's going on. There's a war that's going on. Don't you know that? And war produces casualties, the question is, are you going to be a casualty? You know, Gene Gibson once said, I'm sure other people said it. It's, I don't know if it's his idea. It's certainly not mine. But it's true. When people confront a problem in their life, 
there's three ways to respond. You either don't like it, don't want to deal with it, and you turn around and run. That's one way of dealing with it. Or if you don't like it, you don't want to run, I'll just steer around it. Pretend it's not there. Sort of ignore it. And then there's the person that says, you know what? God took me down this path. He's showing this to me. This is an issue. And if I want to grow and I want to be more used of him and I want to experience the victorious Christian life, I'm going to have to pray that he helps me get through this problem in a God-glorifying way. Those are the three ways. And I can think back of my Christian life and for the, the reasons I've seen casualties, it's scary. I need to review those so that I don't fall victim because any one of us, any one of us can. And that's the importance of the armor. The armor. It says, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your own understanding, not in your own wisdom. Yeah. Do you know why I trust these two men? <laughs> I could say I don't trust them. It doesn't matter. God says go to him. And I love that illustration that Don had about Benji. You know? I'm that, uh, I'm that Benji. I want to be like Benji. I see past them. I see God behind them. That's biblical. And I, I may not be able to trust these two, but I trust them more than anybody else in my life. I'll tell you that right now. And that's the truth. But it doesn't matter if I do or not. Because God's behind them. Because the word of God says that. So when I hear about some spiritual activity, some spiritual person, and I see major decisions made in their lives and they never sought counsel, you'll have, excuse me, from, from a shepherd's heart. I don't see it that way. You know, that's not what spirituality is. When I see people clinging to tradition, well, that's the way we've always done it. I grew up among the brethren and that's the way we always done it. I don't care. What does the word of God say? You know, if you don't subject your opinions, your, quote, convictions to the word of God, you're placing yourself at the mercy of the master deceiver. And you could possibly be used to tear apart the word of God in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of this church. I got two faithful men that if I start going down that path, they're going to let me know about it. And if you see me turning around and running you'll know which choice I made. Right. But I'd be running away. It's interesting, you know. I'd be running around away from my wife because she's not a runner. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be running in front of my kids. I'd be ashamed to be that example before you. You know, there is a song out there. You know, and, you know every once in a while I listen to secular songs. I'm in the car. I turn on the radio. Um... But you know what? It's interesting. A Christian can listen to secular song. And I'm not talking about that rap garbage stuff. I don't even think that's music, you know? There should be a law against playing that stuff. There's so much foul language. You pull up to a stop sign, you know? Their, 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 their screws are falling out of their car. They're blasting it through their brain. You know, but I listened to um, this song, and I'm not a singer, so I can't sing it. But it, it was, I will go down with this ship. It's a girl singing it. There will be no surrender. That's the way I want my life to be. And you know where the battle is? Strongest? Against myself. Not against you. Not against the world. Not against Satan. That's all external. Go ahead and kill me. I don't care. 
take away my, oh, I don't care. The Lord will provide for me and the Lord will make me strong enough to work with the other hand. But in here, where my heart is, that's where the real battle is. And if I give up, if I turn around and run in here, there's no one that can help me but God. And I'll be like Jonah. He'll be calling me, you go back there, you know? So that's where the real battle is. Not relying on your own strength, relying on the Lord. That means relying on His Word. Be an example. You want to be an example to everyone around you? Follow God's Word. Through thick and thin, no matter what. I don't care if I die doing it. I want to obey God's Word. You know? And His strength and His might. That's where strength and might is found. Now, you might be in a difficult situation. You might say, well, you don't understand my situation. I got a husband that's like this, or I got a wife that's like this, or my kids are like that. You know what? You're right. I don't understand your situation, but I know someone that does. And he doesn't have any other instructions for you than he has for me, and that's look to him for strength. Be strong. And if you don't have that strength, you really need to ask yourself, do you know him? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't see how people go through the difficulties they go through and not know him and not have his strength. I definitely don't understand that. But I don't have to. I'm not one of them. I have the Lord. And if you know him, you have him. So walk in the strength of his might. Follow him. He's given you armor. And we're going to talk about that next week. You got to put it on. You got to use it. You got to understand the strategy of the evil one. And the battle is in here. For you, it's in here. Whether it's difficulty sharing Christ with others, whether it's a heart of forgiveness towards your spouse or your children, whether it's a heart of forgiveness towards your parents if you're a child. You know, there's people that have lost loved ones here facing doubt and discouragement. Does God really love me? Why didn't he take me? You know, that's the battle. That's the battle. And Satan would love for you to believe, yeah, God doesn't care. Yeah, nobody understands your difficulties. That's a lie. His best weapon is deceit. Don't succumb to it. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Um, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word, how it encourages us and strengthens us. It's great to be reminded of your love for us, Lord. We understand that we're but sheep. And we think of how the illustration you use in calling us sheep. Simple creatures, creatures that don't have any natural defenses, creatures that don't know the wiles of the enemy like sheep don't know uh, the, the, uh, the instinctive hunting qualities of wolves, Lord. We don't know that, but you are the shepherd, the chief shepherd. We know under you we have protection. Lord, so we pray that you'd help us to take this seriously and perhaps during this next week, think of ways in which we need to stop believing uh, wrong ideas, stop believing the evil one, that we might put ourselves before your word and trust your word and show it by obedience to your word no matter what, Lord. I do pray for Calvary Bible Chapel, Lord, that you might build a hedge around us and strengthen us and build us up and place within us, Lord, a spirit to really do business with, uh, with you Lord, standing firm against the enemy, that we might be a lighthouse here. And Lord, that we might not surrender. We pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.